Okay, so we are going to go ahead and start. Um, before we start, as Mom was talking, I think God told me something. Here's what I think he said, and he said that we don't have fear, right? And so when a prophet came, we're supposed to be prophets, aren't we? Because it says all of us are supposed to prophesy. We're supposed to be prophets, and the prophets have fear over what they were going to say. No. Did they care how the people took it? Well, they wanted them to take it in a good way and learn from it and do what they were supposed to do. But if they didn't, they didn't really care. So here's what I'm going to say. And if I offend you, okay. Don't care, to be honest. Halloween is probably the most demonic day of the year. So I'm going to keep this very quick. If you celebrate Halloween, you're letting your respect for man or your fear of man trump your fear of God. Your will is trumping God's will, and you respect Satan more than you respect God. So if you follow through with Halloween, you let your children do these things. And I know it's not completely in your control that if they go to school and they hear these things, or if someone says this, okay, well, you're doing your part. If you don't allow them to do it while they're with you. God never said we had to be perfect, but he did say we have to try. And so if you allow Satan's will to overpower God's will in your life, have fun. That's not going to be a fun day. So I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, on to the message. Deuteronomy 32. And so we are following the Torah cycle where God gave us the Torah, the books of Moses, and we are going to be reading through them as the people are reading through them. They took the first five books and they divided them into 54 portions. So you read one for each week of the year. And I know most people are thinking there's 52 weeks in the year. Not in God's calendar. There are 54 weeks. Um, so this week's Torah portion is called Ha'azinu, which means in Hebrew to give ear. And so it's traditional that before we read the Torah, we say a blessing. So blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commandments and has commanded us to make the Torah our business. So as we jump into Ha'azinu, it starts in Deuteronomy 32, and it encompasses the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 32. So it's actually a fairly short Torah portion considering most of them are four to five chapters. This one's only one. It's a very interesting Torah portion, though. So it starts out with, so Moses recited this song, the entire song, publicly to the assembly of Israel. So here's where it starts. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak here, O earth, at the words that I say. So that's where we get that listen. And this, or listen and hear those two words in Hebrew are ha'azinu, which means to give ear. So heavens give ear, and earth listen. So within this word ha'zinu, we find this Hebrew base word, and it basically means to ponder or absorb. So he's saying, he's telling the people, because he's talking to heaven and earth, but he's talking to the people as well, and he's saying, be ready to hear what I'm going to say. The second time he uses that word, hear what I say, is the song we sang earlier, Shema, hear, O Israel. So he says, hear. Well, the word Shema has this connotation to it that or this um, understanding that it means to hear, and not only to hear, but to obey. You're listening with the intention of obeying what he says. So this Torah portion, we're introduced to a couple ideas. I'm just going to skim through a few really quickly. Um, we're told that 
the, our rock is the salvation of the Lord is our rock. We know that Yeshua is our rock that we're building on the foundation that he set for us. We're told we're supposed to praise God and exalt his name. And we are given the deathly consequences of not obeying what he told us to do. And also we're introduced to where Moses is going to die. So it's kind of a very fast-moving portion. And so the thing is, about uh, two weeks ago, the Torah portion was called Netzavim. And Netzavim is said to be the day that Moses died. That's the day that this is Moses' final days on earth. Deuteronomy encompasses only 40 days. The other part, uh, so Genesis encompasses like roughly 2,500 years. 2,500 years. Um, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers encompass somewhere between about 120 years. Because it starts with the birth of Moses and these things. Well, Moses was 120 by the time we get to Deuteronomy. So that's where I'm getting my 120 from. But really, the book of Leviticus and Numbers, they happen at the same time. It's just over two different things. And um, they only encompass about the 42 years that they're in the wilderness. I'm also going to interject real quickly. At the end, I have been told people would like to ask questions. So... If you have questions, write them down, think about them, and at the end, we're going to have a time that we'll present those. Okay. Um, so Deuteronomy in Hebrew is called Devarim because it means words. And so it said these are the final words that Moses will ever speak on earth. And so it said the rabbis tell us that the final words are the most important words you'll ever speak. And so these are Moses' final words. That if Whatever he's saying in Deuteronomy is kind of like, this is my last chance to make you guys understand this. So I'm going to get out everything very important. So then, like I said, we get to Netzavim, which was two weeks ago, the Torah portion. And this is the final day of Moses' life. So from that, which is like Deuteronomy 28, to the end of Deuteronomy is Moses' final day of life. So that's the very last of the last of the last things Moses will ever be able to say. So they're probably very, very important. So, interestingly, it starts out with, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak and hear, O earth, the words that I say. And so, in another sense, if you read it in like uh, the King James, I think, it says, And testify against the people. So Moses is asking heaven and earth to listen to him and then speak out against the children of Israel if they do wrong in the Lord's sight. That's interesting. I didn't think heaven and earth talked. But the question is, why is he calling on heaven and earth? So there's a famous rabbi. His name's Rashi. He's from about 1,100 years ago. And this was his opinion. I think it's a good one. Moses was about to die. Therefore, he knew that the Israelites would turn away from the Torah. That was in the last portion. He knew that without him there to guide them and to kind of, you know, nudge them along, that they were going to turn away. So therefore, he decided that since they accepted the covenant that God had given them, there needed someone to be there to testify against them when they broke it because God told them they were going to break it. So God said, you need to have some witnesses to testify against them. And so Moses said, well, how can I pick a witness? How can I pick two witnesses? Because aren't all men mortals like me and I'm going to die? 
I mean, Moses knows he's going to die in a day. God already told him. He's got a day on earth left. And he goes, well, how can I pick a witness? Because this could happen hundreds of years in the future, which it did. So he comes to a conclusion that therefore he will call on heaven and earth to testify against them because they are somewhat immortal. We know that they will pass away when the time of completion comes because Yeshua said that the Torah is not passing away until heaven and earth pass away. So he calls on these things. They're immortal, right, because they don't have the breath of life in them necessarily, but they're called to testify against the people because they are not going anywhere. So, why does he call heaven and earth? Why didn't he just say heaven? Well, heaven's important. Well, earth's important. So, why didn't he just call one? The Torah says that someone can't be convicted on the account of only one witness, but they need at least two or three. So, he calls two witnesses, fourth, and he says, these are going to, I'm setting heaven and earth to testify against you if you don't do what he told you to do. Man, that sounds scary. Except for, didn't we accept that covenant too? We accepted that covenant. And so what did Moses say? If you don't do what he told you to do and you claim that you're this high, holy person, then heaven and earth will testify against you. And the last time I checked, Yeshua said in Luke, ni- yeah, Luke 19.40 that the rocks cry out. We're told in Psalms, uh, Psalm 19.1 and Psalm 66.4 that heaven and earth sing God's praises. So heaven and earth apparently can speak. Unless God just likes to confuse us. Oh wait, but he's not the author of confusion. So heaven and earth will literally stand before God and say they screwed up. Even when you gave them everything they ever needed. And then, oh yeah, for our generation, it's going to be a lot worse. You just say, well, they had the Torah. I mean, they had everything they needed, right? Because Peter said that God gave us everything we needed for life and godliness in the scriptures. Did you know Peter didn't have the New Testament? That means everything we needed to live a good godly life was given in the Torah. But he's going to say, the earth and heaven will look at us and say, not only did you have everything you need, you had 20 more books, and this guy called the Messiah. And you still couldn't figure it out. Yeah, it's because we're stiff-necked. We're stiff-necked, and we think we can do everything on our own. So... Heaven and earth are going to cry out, and they're going to testify against the people. But another interesting thing you see is that the rabbis compare the earth to the body of a man and the soul to the soul. I'm sorry, the, um, the heavens to the soul. So he's saying, all you people in your physical bodies, you listen to my words and let your soul absorb the words I'm giving you. Apparently these are pretty important if your soul is supposed to absorb it. He then goes on to say that people, the people he was talking to were like grass. And that his words, the Torah, is like rain. Let me ask you something. Can or water? I'll go with water. Can grass grow without water? So can men grow if they don't follow what God has set before them. So everybody says, I want to I want to grow. I want to grow. If, if it's not uncomfortable, I can't grow. Well, you ain't going to grow either if you're not doing what he told you to do. It's simple. 
These people think they can live however they want to, and they're just going to grow into this godly person that God does this and that. If you're not following the words that he gave you in the Torah, the Torah is not this way of death, by the way. The Torah means instructions, God's instructions that he gave to the people, and more of them are moral instructions than there are physical instructions. You're supposed to help your neighbor. You're supposed to love your neighbor. Is that spiritual? Well, yeah, it has a spiritual connection, but it's more of a moral thing, actually, my opinion. Yeshua never contradicts the Torah. Yeshua only makes it harder. Because he basically comes along and he says, Hey, I know you guys have this. It's like I said a minute ago. I'm going to make it harder. Because if you really want to follow me, then you're supposed to be able to do this and go above and beyond. Now, do you ever say, be perfect? No. So Moses also says, he. this is what's fun about Torah study, because I'm like one verse into this, and I've already got the page of notes. Um, he calls on heaven. Not earth. He says heaven, and then he calls on earth. And so the rabbis teach us that Moses was calling heaven to meet earth like Yeshua taught us. But see, the thing about it is Moses was closer to heaven than he was to earth because Moses saw God. Moses talked to God. So Moses was closer to heaven, so he was bringing heaven to earth by the commandments that he was bringing us. Yeshua did the same thing when he brought us his commandments, the renewed commandments, the renewed covenant, and when he brought us his salvation. He's bringing heaven to earth. And so the rabbis teach, if you're closer to heaven, then the simple practical thing you need to do is you need to act out the things he told you. Some, when the phrase closer to heaven means you're more learned than most people. If you're closer to heaven, you've studied more, you spend more time thinking about God than the average person, you have the tendency to not do what God told you to do because you think you're above it. So you need to come back down to earth and do what he told you to do. Simple things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Feed this person. Clothe this person. Show them love. And he says, but if you're closer to earth than you are to heaven then you need to continue to do the, the things you're doing by helping others. But you also need to seek heaven by studying what he said. Because studying without deeds is nothing. Deeds without, you know, works, deeds without studying, okay, there's a little, you know, there's something to that, but you may not even understand why you're doing what you're doing. Why did you go out and feed the homeless today? I'm, I think it's good. And I'm helping them, they're hungry. Oh, but if they ask me, I said, because Yeshua said, I'm feeding him. That one day I'm going to get up there. I did it because I love that person, but I did it because I love him. See the difference? Just because we do what he said, sometimes we don't know why we're doing it. And just because we know why we're doing it doesn't mean we do it. So we have to know both. There's never a time when we should say, I don't have time to read the Bible today. I'm just as bad about it as everybody else. If I'm going to judge you, I expect him to judge me. I'm terrible about it. I try. But we have to study what he said. I'm not just talking about the Torah. I'm not, I don't just live out of the first five books. There's 61 others. The New Testament has all kinds of stuff to say about this as well. So once we've absorbed the Torah... 
we have, or in the word of God in general, we have to push it out. Because there's this example, it's like these pots. And this person just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring into this pot. And this pot just can't contain it anymore, so it busts. That's like some people. All they do is study and study and study and study, and they, they don't have anywhere for it to go. So it just bottles up and they don't do anything with it, and it spills out. But at the same time, there was another pot, and it had a little valve that connected to a second pot, and what it had go in, it transferred. So they worked with each other, and it passed along the knowledge that it was given to the other pot. Do you get the example? It's the example of people. When we are given information by God, we're not expected to bottle it up. Because he said, I gave you gifts, and if you don't use the gifts, I'm going to take them from you. And he also said, if you don't use the gifts, you're in the dangers of the fires of hell. I'm not going to get up here and hellfire brimstone everybody, but I'm just going to tell you what he said. If we don't use the gifts he's given us, then he's not happy. I mean, he makes that clear. So the question then becomes, why are we not using the gifts he's given us? The gift he's given us is the ability to learn. He's given us salvation. He's given us all these gifts. So we have to reciprocate that. We have to show what we've learned through the love we show to other people. And through the love and the actions we show to God. So the question becomes, are we doing it? Are we showing love in every action to those we are around? Are we clothing and feeding and helping the sick and needy around us? And are we the hands and the feet of Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua? Or do we live in a little religious Jesus bubble that keeps us separated and segregated out from everyone else? Because we're either one of a few things. Self-righteous and we think we're better than all these people, so we don't take it to them. We're living in so much fear that we couldn't possibly do it because I just, I, I can't do that. I'm just living in so much fear. I can't go out and do that. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how they're going to judge me. I don't know how they're going to look at me, what they're going to say and think. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Jesus was very concerned about all that when he walked in and he flipped tables over in the temple and started chasing them around with a whip. He was really concerned. Oh, no, they may be mad at me. No, because he said, don't, don't worry about what they think. Don't fear the one who can... Okay, this is a very extreme example, but... You get the point. Don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the soul. Yeshua can kill the soul. Man can't. Yeshua can judge the soul. A man cannot. So we're either in complete fear of what man thinks. We're either in a Jesus bubble that separates us from everybody else. Or we're in a fear that we don't know enough. If you've been here at all for the last couple weeks, you'll know that Dad has talked about in the book of Acts where it says they were impressed because they weren't learned people. That means they didn't go to a religious school. They didn't go to this school which the Jewish people call yeshiva or where they just study Torah 16 hours a day. You notice it doesn't say that about Jesus though. I'm just going to throw that out there. Jesus probably went to a religious school and that's why they accepted him as a rabbi 
Otherwise, would Billy Joe Bob, who walks in the door, be able to preach in synagogue? No. But the respected rabbi that everybody knows, because everybody's known him his whole life, and he went to rabbi school, he was able to come in and teach in the synagogue. Just the same today. We just don't let anybody and their brother get up here and talk because we don't know what they're going to say. He just had to go to fit in. No, oh, no that's the wrong way of saying it. He, he had to go. He had to go to. He had to go and he had to study so people would know he was worth his salt. That he was worth letting them or them letting him come in and teach. Anyway. So I've mentioned a word a lot, and everybody has their connotation and what they think this word means. But we're gonna let the Bible say what it means or t- tell us what this word means. And so the word we're looking for is love. What is love? This whole thing is we have to do what he said, but we have to do it in love. Because if we do it without love, the book of Hebrews says we can't fulfill and do these things without love. And if we're not going with love, Paul says we're just like a clanging gong. I don't know about you, but I don't want somebody with symbols just bam, bam, bam on my head all day. That's going to make me lose my mind. So Paul says, and everybody knows this, but I'm going to take it a little different way today. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, love never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through all circumstances. So before I read that, if I said, what is love? Everybody said, a warm, fuzzy feeling I have for somebody I really like. Did you hear feeling? Warm, fuzzy, bad? Did you hear anything about feelings in what he said? No. The Bible never says love is a feeling. The Bible says love is action. Love is action. The actions are patience, kindness, you're not jealous, you're not boastful or proud. It doesn't dishonor others by what it says. It doesn't keep a record of wrong. Man, that one's tough. Ooh. Does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, so you can't say, I don't love that person anymore. Well, then you never loved him in the first place. There is no I don't love anymore. There's I never loved, period. There's I love or I never love. There is no I don't love anymore. People get a divorce because they say I don't love you anymore. Well, that's bull crap. Pardon my French, but I'm just going to be frank about it because there is no one who can't love anymore. God doesn't say I loved you in the past, but I don't love you anymore because he's the one who sets love, defines love. It's like who do you want to define love? Society tells us love is a warm feeling that we have. It's a good thing. It's how we know who we're going to marry. Blah, blah, blah. So who do you want to define love? God, 
the perfect master creator of the universe who redeemed us, he gives us moral guiding laws and principles and protects us, or the perverts, the sickos, the weirdos, the pedophiles, the predators, and the... <laughs> I'm sorry, John stood up while I said that. Do we want the weirdos of the world to define love? Or do we want the creator of the universe to define love? We want the creator of the universe to define love. So here's a, here's a statement, and a lot of people may look at me funny for this, and that's okay. Um, I can really be mad. Let's say I'm mad at Jacob. I'm not mad at Jacob. But for the purpose, I'm mad at Jacob. I'm so mad at Jacob. Because... He stole my goat. <laughs> he stole my goat. I'm so mad at Jacob. But he lives right next to me. And that night, his house catches on fire. So out of love, I go and I bust the door down. And I wake him up and we put the fire out. That's love. Love is actions. I don't have a good feeling toward Jacob in this scenario. I don't have a warm, fuzzy feeling, and I don't really like him in this scenario. But you know what? I love him enough to keep him from dying, to keep his house from burning down, and from him to lose everything. That's love. And to save my goat. That's love. Love is actions. The actions, it's like I said earlier, following his commandments is good, but there's no point if we don't do it in love. And we receive our love through the Messiah. So if we don't do these actions, whether they're mentioned in the New Testament or the Old Testament, because I'm going to burst everybody's bubble here, the laws of the Old Testament are the commandments of the New Testament. Oh, Jesus said all kinds of stuff that's not in the Old Testament. Show me, because you can't find one. And I'll stick with it. You can't find one thing that's said in the New Testament that didn't happen in the Old Testament, in the Torah specifically. You can't find one thing Jesus said to do that contradicts the Torah, but you can find a whole lot of stuff he said to do that just reiterates what the Torah says. Oh, but Paul said, and he was writing under the inspiration of Jesus, we're supposed to elect church Deacons, and deacons aren't in the Torah. Ladies and gentlemen, would you like to go back to Deuteronomy where God picked judges? Oh yeah, that's the same word, just in a different language. Judges, deacons, leaders of the church. Get my point? Nothing that happens in the Old Testament is arbitrary and done away with today. Because all these people say, well, I don't abide in the law. Okay, I don't either. I follow what he told me to do because that's what guides me. But here's the deal. I'm under the New Testament. I'm under the New Covenant. Well, Jesus said I came to bring a renewed covenant. In English it says new, but in Hebrew it says renewed. Read the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. Um, it says I came to bring a renewed covenant. So he's just renewing what he said. And so in the Old Testament there's 613 commandments. In the New Testament there's 1,200 so take your pick. That means we live a lot harder life than they did. Oh, they had to sacrifice and stuff. Yeah, but their bodies didn't have to be sacrificed, like Romans 12 says, that we just saw on the screen. 
Their lives didn't have to be sacrifices. They didn't have to pick up their cross and carry it daily. They did through their sacrifices. So is it new? No, it's renewed in a different form. It's not completely new. Sacrifice, this daily sacrifice thing is not something new. It's saying, I'm calling you to a higher standard. Here's their sacrifice, here's yours. But at the same, on the same coin, we can't earn the gift he's given us through what we do. I spent a whole lot of time today talking about works and doing what he said, right? And now a lot of people probably looking at me saying, so you think you have to earn what he gave you? No. Because in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul says, you're silly if you think you can earn all this. Because Yeshua came and he gave it as a gift. You can't earn a gift. You just receive it. He gives it freely. It's up to him who he gives it to. But you know what James said? Faith without works is dead. You know what Jesus said? Go and sin no more. Simple question. Where are sin and works defined? For the first time. The Torah. Go and sin no more. So go and don't violate the laws that the Torah gave you. And your faith is dead if you don't have works. Go improve your faith by your willingness to do the things that I've told you to do that confirm what the Torah told you to do. Because it says... Well, Jesus said to feed your, to love your enemy. Jesus said to, to, Jesus said to feed those around you, to clothe those who have no clothes, to help them and to love them. But the Torah doesn't say do that. The Torah is all about judgment. Well, the Torah says to love your neighbor as yourself, to help them out when they're in a bind. To return to them what is theirs. To give what they don't deserve to them. To open up your storehouses and feed those around you that need it. Almost sounds like he said the same thing. Huh. I guess not though. Because my preacher told me last week that that's all done away with. We're under a new covenant. <laughs> So many Christians think we take the gift we were given, we just sit idly by with it. We live our good little Christian lives by, you know, not saying this and doing this, not watching this, and then we go to church and all this. But Yeshua said, what did he say? We just talked about earlier about gifts. He said, if you don't use the gift I gave you, I'm going to take it away. And we're told salvation's a gift. Oh, your salvation can be taken away? No, Jesus said once saved, always saved. <laughs> Find that in the Bible. Jesus said, if you don't use the gift I gave you and the gift of salvation, then I'll take it away. It's the same story as with the talents in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 14, and I'm going to let you read it. It's a parable. He says, I gave this person this much and this person this much and this person this much. So we're all given the gift of salvation, but every one of us is going to have different spiritual gifts, right? But he says, this person used it, so they were rewarded, and they were given twice as much. This person used it, and they were rewarded, given twice as much. And then this person said, well, you know what I did? I didn't want to lose it, so I went out and dug a hole, and I put it in the ground. He's like, are you crazy? I gave you something, and you didn't use it? Why would I give it to you then? So he took it away, and what did he do? He sent the servant away. I don't want to have it taken away, and I don't want to be sent away.
how do we use salvation as a gift? Because, okay, if we're given the gift of prophecy, we prophesy. So if we are given the gift of salvation, we salvation? That doesn't make sense. But Yeshua said, because I gave you this gift, I want you to take it out. It's never supposed to stay inside of four walls and a roof. Shut the doors. Bury it. No, he said, I want you to take it and invest it. Invest it means taking what you have and putting it into someone else. It's kind of like what I said a minute ago. And, oh, I know this is hard to, you know, the Torah and Jesus, like what I said. But, you know, where the Torah says that when you learn, you take what you learn and you pass it on to somebody else. That's how you use your salvation. And it says that only when we do it in love can we fulfill the Torah and can we do what he said. Because Jesus said, like we, and we said it like four times. If I'm doing it without love, I'm like clanging gong. And the book of Hebrews says, when we fulfill the law. No, Jesus fulfilled the law. We're going to have to go back and tell whoever wrote Hebrews that they need to reread it. Spell check. Because Jesus fulfilled the law, so we don't have to. Hebrews says we can only fulfill the law when we do it through love. Only through love, love of him and love of our neighbor and the actions that we demonstrate to show our love can we fulfill the Torah. And can we spread the word that he has given us and spread his life to those who are around us? Because he's the master, but we're the workers, right? We're supposed to be the ones taking it out. The master uses the workers to go out and gather in the harvest and to plant the seeds. The master sits by and supervises. He already did the work in getting everybody there. Now, you're the one, the servant, who's going to do the work to keep it going. So we get back to this interesting thought, though. If we're saying that part of showing love is following the laws that God gave us, and that's how we show love for him, love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, didn't Paul say that the Torah is a ministry of death, and those who abide in it are under the curse of the law? He sure did. So my sermon's over. Sorry, I led you astray all this time. We're going to go home now. Key word, abide. That means to live in it. I don't live in the Torah. I don't live under it in knowing that when I fail, God's going to curse me. Now, if I completely disown him, he will curse me. But when I'm striving to live the best life I can, and I fail, he says, oh yeah, that's why I sent this guy named the Messiah, Yeshua, and he's going to come and he's going to apply that blood over where you failed. He's going to separate that sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Because there's no such thing as the east and west basically. It just goes on forever and ever. And I forgive you. So I have an understanding that if I'm going to wear tassels for my pants and not eat that bacon. Come on. Demon pig. If I'm not going to eat bacon, and I'm going to, obviously this is very stereotypical what I might say. If I'm not going to eat bacon, and I'm going to wear these little strings for my pants, and I'm not going to work on Saturdays, and I'm going to go camping, because he told me to, I have to have an understanding that I can't do it with the intention that I'm going to earn my trip up there through what I do. 
Because if I do that, then I'm abiding in the ministry of death, as Paul said, and I'm subject to the curses that he laid out. But here's what I know. Yeshua followed the Torah, and he told us to do it. Because he said that the Torah is not passing away until heaven and earth pass away. And he said that he didn't come to do away with the Torah. He came to fulfill it, read it in Greek. It means fully preach it. So I have to have this understanding that I'm doing what I'm doing in an effort to be more like Jesus, like Paul said, and in an effort to please him, to say, I am trying. I'm trying to show you my faith. You know my heart, but I'm trying to show the world my faith through my actions. So when people say, you don't eat bacon? I go, yeah, because I love God and I want, I don't say yeah, because if you eat bacon, you're going to hell. Anybody ever heard me say that? But I say, I don't eat bacon. I don't do this, and I do this, and I do this, and blah, 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 blah. Because I seek to please God with my every action. Train every thought. A thought becomes an action, by the way, to obey Yeshua the Messiah. Train every action to obey Yeshua the Messiah. So we boil down a theme for this Torah portion. If we follow the simple commandments that God has laid out, because there's no one in the Torah that are extremely hard to do. I'm going to go with the hardest one is what we're going to be doing this week, and it's camping outside. Now some people, some people like to camp, and I don't know what's wrong with you, because God made them camp as a punishment. Read the book. I lived in a camper for 15 months. It's kind of like God saying, and once a year I want you to live in a camper for a week. I'd be like, oh. I mean, can you imagine that? They're in the wilderness. They're living in tents for 40-something years. Because they were in the wilderness for, for a while before, the th- before they had to wander it for 40 more years. So it's like 42 years total. And, and, and they're living in tents, and they are obviously hating it because all they can do is complain and tell God how miserable they are. Wish you would have just brought us out here to kill us. And then God goes, hey, now when I bring you into that good land, you're going to camp in a tent for a week because you complained all that time. That's <laughs> 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 what you get. <laughs> I would have been so mad. Live in a tent for 40 years so you can go into the land and live in a tent again. Like, oh, man. But then through that, what do we see? That Yeshua is going to come and he's going to tabernacle with us. So even out of their screw-ups and out of our screw-ups and our failures, he, his blood, is working through us. So fear is trying to weigh us down. Fear that we're not doing the right thing. Maybe it's laziness. Oh, that's a big problem in the church today. People are lazy. I don't want to do what he said. That's hard. That's no fun. I like that. That That's fun. That's good. Yeah, because Jesus said, and while you're on earth, you're going to have a good, fun life. He said, no, they're going to beat you. They're going to kill you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to arrest you. Oh, fun stuff. That's good. No, because what is fun and good up there is not fun and good down here. Yes, God provides us joy down here, but it's joy in Him, not joy in the things of the world. 
So it's either laziness or fear that's weighing. I'm honestly, that's what I think. Laziness, fear, maybe anger, because you're angry toward God because you don't want to do what He says. But I don't think that's as big of a problem as laziness and fear. Laziness and fear are probably the two biggest things that weigh the church down today from doing what God told them to do. They're not going out and taking it. They're not going and making disciples. They're not feeding and clothing and healing and praying because they either don't want to do it because it's not comfortable, it's not fun, I don't know what they're going to think about me, or, oh gosh, boogeyman's going to get me. But if we're supposed to follow in the footsteps of Yeshua, and we're supposed to do what he did, because Paul told us we are. By the way, Paul, he did what the Torah said. No, Paul wrote a whole book called Galatians and, and this other one called Ephesians where he said, we're not bound by the Torah anymore. Yeah, but read that other book he wrote called 1 Corinthians where he says, or I think it's 2 Corinthians maybe. He says, hey, I'll be with you, but i got to go back to Jerusalem for the fall festivals. What? Kind of like if you're going to follow the festivals, it's probably assumed you're doing all kinds of other stuff. Paul lived in the ministry of death, he warned us all about, by the way. Because also, <laughs> if you read about it in the book of Acts, Paul was a Nazarite. He was the same thing Samson was. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't drink wine. He didn't do this and that and the other. And when he came back to Jerusalem, the council at Jerusalem said, there's these people spreading crazy rumors saying that you don't follow the Torah. But Paul was the one spreading the rumor. Because he's the one writing the books, isn't he? No, I think that falls under the category of most things in church today where we just don't understand what he was talking about. We don't understand. Yeah, and then we get translated through all these different languages and things. And man has a tendency to put their spin on things. I don't know exactly what this word means. So rather than look it up, I'll just tell you what I think it means. Mm. The Torah says not to take anything away and not to add anything. And the book of Revelation says not to take anything away or to add anything. So when we take away and we don't do His commandments, then we're going to be punished. And when we add things that He told us not to do, we're going to be punished. But if we seek to live a holy, set-apart life, with an understanding that when we're trying to do what he told us to do, we can't attain salvation. I'm making that clear. Then he's going to apply the blood and say your sins are forgiven and I'm proud of you. One final thought and I'm going to try to wrap up here. The, the Song of Moses goes on and says, I found you in the wilderness, I fed you, I did this, I protected you, all these things. Here's what I'm going to do when you turn away. Here's the destruction that's coming. So we're given this, Deuteronomy ends with blessings and curses. Here's the blessings for doing what I told you to do, and here's the curses for not doing what I told you to do, and doing the opposite of what I told you to do. So Moses is judging the people. And we're supposed to do what the Torah says. So we're supposed to judge people? Mm, no, Jesus said, don't judge anybody. Yeah. Right after he said, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, Jesus never said, don't judge anybody. 
Yeah, he did. He said, don't judge unless you're willing to be judged. So did I judge people here in this sermon today? Yeah. And what did I say? I'm willing to be judged. If I judge people, even you, if I judged you, and I said, people don't read the Bible enough, people don't study God's word enough, what was the second statement I made there? And I don't either. I've got to be better about it. I'm judging myself. And Jesus said, don't pull a speck out of this guy's eye before you pull the plank out of yours. That doesn't mean don't pull the speck out. That means get your life straight before you're willing to judge other people. That means examine yourself, then examine your brother. It never says examine yourself, but don't examine your brother. Because Paul said, if we're in the body of the Messiah, then it's our job. Not just something we're able to do, it's our duty to judge those around us. It says don't judge the unbelievers, that's God's deal. God's the one who judges the unbelievers. We're the ones who judges the church. And then ultimately we submit to Him and He judges them in the end. It's our job to push those out of the church that are not willing to receive the message and they're not willing to do what is right. We had to do that. It's no fun. What's the church? It's the body of Yeshua. It's like we just cut off a finger. Well, how many people just go in the kitchen? I mean, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to judge people. Now, some people are self-righteous and think it's a real good, fun time. But if you're doing it with love and you're judging with love, because that's the whole thing, you have to do it with love. You have to do it with those actions, not this warm, fuzzy feeling. Because if you judge with a warm, fuzzy feeling, that's <laughs> I don't know how that goes down. But um, if we do it with love, then Paul said we're doing it to save them on the day of judgment. Pushing someone out of the church is not to harm them. It's to get them to get their life right before the day of judgment. That's what Paul said when he had to push two people, two leaders. Not just members, but two leaders of the church out. The penalties for disobeying God are steep. They result in destruction, but the promises of peace and prosperity are those for who are there for those who abide in the Almighty. So we see His commandments are not a burden to us, but His yoke is light because we apply His blood. We do it to glorify Him. But they are there to set us above and to, above society, above the temptations and the evil of the world. They're there to lift us out of the muck and the mire that drags us back. And the mortal, the moral and spiritual, sorry, commandments of the Torah are more applicable or just as applicable today as they were 3,500 years ago when they were written down on a mountain in the wilderness. Because when they're in Sinai, they didn't have drag shows for children. When they're in Sinai, they didn't have pagan holidays like Halloween and Christmas. They had God's holidays. But yet God told them not to participate in divination, not to cross-dress, for a man not to lay with a woman and a woman not to, I'm sorry, for a man not to lay with a man as he does with a woman, neither for a woman to lay with a woman as she does with a man. So it was applicable to them because, yeah, it happened. There was divination in their time. There was homosexuality in their time. It's a lot worse today than it was back then. So are they just as applicable 
or some of them even more applicable today. I'm gonna will. I'm willing to bet that some. Of, I mean, in theory, it's the same, but in another way, depending on how you look at it, they're almost more applicable today than they used to be, because we see it more today. So God gave us the commandments not to punish us, but to lift us above society and to protect us. That's the whole goal of the commandments: is to protect us from destruction, because God later says in it, verse thirty-nine of Deuteronomy thirty-two: "Look now, I myself am He." There's no other God but me. I'm the one who kills and gives life. I'm the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. So he set these commandments to protect us from the devil, but also from him. He said, if you don't do what I told you to do, just as I had pleasure creating you, I'll have pleasure destroying you. So we end on this. My final thing, I'm just going to say it and we're done. This week and for the rest of your life, God expects you to do what he asks you to do. To show the love of the Messiah to everyone you're around and to live a holy life. And in return, he promises you peace and prosperity for those who live according to his will. So that's my charge, my challenge, my motivation, my encouragement. Whatever word you like, it makes you feel good and gives you the warm, fuzzy feeling inside for you to do this week. Do what he says or get punished. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it is. Do what he says and receive the blessings he has given.